In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, 42 years ago, uh, this very month, November, on November 18th, a man by the name of Jim Jones convinced 918 people to end their own life. <clears throat> and he mixed cyanide with Flavor-Aid and told everyone to drink it. It was even reported that mothers fed this poison to their own infants with a syringe. Now, the point I'm trying to get to is this, is how did this happen? How did this man convince them all to end their own lives and the lives of their children in the same way? And what led them to this point? Well, Jim Jones started out as a pastor in the Independent Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal church. However, over the years, he studied the works of Joseph Stalin and Karl Marx, uh, which is where Marxism and communism and socialism comes from. And these men believed that they could create a utopia or a perfect society. Uh, Jim Jones was a man who was tired of the world's problems. He was tired of injustice, of trouble, of things that didn't go right. So when he read these books and ideas about a perfect society and a perfect government, he took this to heart and he did everything he could to achieve it. So instead of trusting in Jesus to one day save him from this veil of tears, he took matters into his own hands and he started a cult. He tried to create a utopia, a place where there was no inequality, no injustice, no sadness, no sin, no one, no conflict or disagreement. And he took his cult from Indiana to San Francisco and from there, finally, to Guyana to start a perfect place called the People's Temple Agricultural Project, which is better known as Jonestown. Now, all these people were longing for some sort of heaven on earth, and they moved to Jonestown in 1977. And they thought they were fleeing the troubles of this world and leaving all of their problems behind. They thought they were going to a better place, a place where everything would finally be in agreement and everything would finally go right. And it didn't. Shortly after they arrived, there was physical and psychological torture and abuse. And people started to sin against one another. And there were still problems and everything still wasn't right. Some realized it wasn't the paradise that they dreamed of, and many were held against their own will, and then the word got out, and some people came to help. And then things got out of hand, and they realized that their only way out of the misery and the only way out of the trouble was to leave this earth altogether. So within a year of moving to Jonestown, they did just that. They ended their lives. Now, I wish I could say that this account was unique, uh, but there are countless stories like this one. This one happens to be the largest one. But the, the truth is that there are cults all over the world that go out in the middle of nowhere. They seclude themselves and they try to create a utopia, a place of heaven on earth, a place of peace, a place of no conflict, no trouble. And this stuff is still happening today. They establish these sort of compounds and they think that everything is going to go right for them if they can just get away. They get away from, from others. And they think, if I can just surround myself with a certain type of people, a certain group of people who share the same ideas and ideals as me, 
then we're all just going to get along and everything will go right. So let me say this. Um, this longing for a perfect world, even, even just a better world, is a universal desire. <laughs> all people have this in common. So in, in that sense, you could say that's what we have in common with those in Jonestown. That we had the same desire. I, we want things to be better in this life. We want things to go well. We want peace. Everyone has something to complain about, which means that everyone thinks that their life could be better. There can be less sin or less guilt or less trouble, less disagreement, less conflict. Now, the reason everyone is discontent with this life is because of this, is because we were not meant or created to live in the midst of sin and pain and sorrow. This was not the design. Our hearts weren't made to feel sin and guilt or the consequence of our sin. Our bodies weren't meant to die. God created man with eternity in his heart. And so this is why everyone is in some way, shape, or form dissatisfied or disappointed with this life. Everyone realizes that this life isn't going as it should and that this life is really quite hard. So this longing that you have for better days isn't just your desire. It's a desire that all people have. Okay, so this is what Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes, in the blessing from Jesus here today. The Beatitudes are descriptions of the Christian in nine unique ways. And I'm just going to focus on one that is relevant to us, to us right now in this moment. And that's the fourth Beatitude, which says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is this hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, our Lutheran ears hear this and we immediately think this is the forgiveness of sins. But from what I can tell, this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, you know me, I'm not going to be one to ever diminish or or, or speak, uh, um, uh, say that the forgiveness of sins is irrelevant or that it's not helpful or, or this isn't the chief thing that our church stands on. I'm never going to do this. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about hungering and thirsting for the forgiveness of sins. Why not? Because Jesus says, for they will be filled. That's future tense. This is something that will happen. So it's not a reference to the forgiveness of sins because it's not that we will be forgiven. It's that we already are forgiven. So this must be referring to something else. We already have the complete forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not partial. It's not in, in, in a, a portion of it. It's not part of it. It is the full forgiveness of Christ in baptism. When he says he forgives your sins, it is all of your sins. In the Lord's Supper, in the Word, it is all of it. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, when he says, for they will be filled, he is talking about something that he promised that we're yet to receive. And what is this righteousness that we are yet to receive it is this. It is the promise not of the forgiveness of sins, which we already have, but a promise of the removal of sins. 
Jesus has forgiven all of our sins right now. And yet we still feel guilt and consequences of our sin. And we still see broken marriages and outbursts and trouble all around us. This doesn't mean that Jesus hasn't really forgiven us. He has. He has declared us righteous in his sight. He's not angry with us on account of our sins. However, the promise he is making here in the Beatitudes today is this one. That one day he will not simply say that you have no sin. But one day... He will take it away from you forever. One day, you will never feel guilty again. You will never experience sorrow again. That hungering for th- and thirst for righteousness, for things to go right, that day is coming when everything will go right and be made right. When he returns to judge the living and the dead, that is when he will physically take away all of the bad things, all of the sickness, all of the problems, all of the moral uh, shortcomings, and he will make you righteous and perfect and surround you with the same. That is the perfect heaven he's promising, and he will grant it to you. So I want to point out a few things first. Uh, The first is this. Like I said, this is the future tense. This means that you will not see this perfection here in this life. You will not have it, and you will not find it. And, and people try to do this all the time. Christians are especially prone and tempted to fall into this way of thinking. So uh, some Christians will join a church thinking that since there are a bunch of Christians here, there's never going to be any trouble or conflict or disagreement or tension. And this, this is absurd, right? Uh, even more, some Christians leave at the first sign of trouble and distress. This is why you, you kind of get the term nowadays, church hopper. Uh, people who jump around from church to church, they can't stay in any church for very long. Rather than staying and resolving their issues, rather than bearing someone else's burden, or rather than repenting and forgiving and reconciling, they just get up and leave. And they're leaving to find greener pastures, a place of peace. They'll leave for another church in hopes that one would be better than the last one. And then a few years in, they realize it's not. And then this pattern repeats over and over and over again. And they realize that every single church, every single home, every single country is plagued by sin and failure and distress. And rather than trusting in Jesus' forgiveness and reconciling with other Christians, it's much easier to just get up and leave. Uh, This happens in marriages too. Husbands leave their wives thinking that if they just had another woman, things would be better or right and perfect. And then they find out that their new relationship is just as bad as the first. It's based on a lie. This happens with everything. I could, I could go on and on and on. People think that you can find this sort of perfection in this world, and it, but, but you can't. It does not exist here. Jesus says it will come, but you don't have it now. Now, the second thing I want to point out is this, is that this is also in the passive voice, <laughs> meaning Jesus says, for they will be filled. The passive voice means that it's not something that you're doing, but it's something that is going to be done for you. In other words, not only can you not find this peace and perfection and paradise on earth, but neither can you create it. You cannot contribute to it. It's not your action or your doing. 
You can't make it happen no matter how hard you try. So uh, uh, you simply cannot satisfy. Nothing in this world will satisfy the longing and the deep, profound desire for perfection and for a better life. Now, this is a hard lesson to learn for us today, um, that this world will always be an unfair place. This world will always fail to live up to your expectation. Your desire for perfection, it will always fail to fill you with the righteousness that you long for. There is no place in this world you can go to get away from sin and disappointment. Because the sin and disappointment that you see all around you is also the same that is in you. Sin will follow you where you go. So it doesn't matter if you just get up and leave to another church or even a new country. Your sin and guilt will be with you and you'll still be immersed in all of these problems. You can't get away from it. So the only thing you can do as a Christian is this, is repent. Trust in Jesus and his words and rely upon him and wait. Wait for what he's promised. Bear the cross and the burden you are carrying right now. Wait for him. Trust that he will not leave you drowning in this veil of tears. It is coming to an end. Not only has he taken away your guilt with the forgiveness of sins on the cross, but he also promised to rescue you from those sins, to take them away so that they will never bother you again. If you trust in Jesus and rely upon him, then you don't have to take matters in your own hands. You don't have to try and find or create this perfect place. All, as, as a Christian, all you have to do is wait. So in the meantime, as you wait, love one another and bear one another's burdens. In the same list of Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So if you sin against someone, then go repent and be reconciled with them. If, you, if someone sins against you, then go forgive them and be reconciled with them. Don't get up and leave each other in the dust or hold grudges. Don't be ruled by your anger. Don't live your life in such a way that makes this world worse. Look, we're never going to see perfection in this life. If you're looking for paradise, then you look to Jesus alone, the one who brings it, the one who is that perfection that we long for. And he has promised to fill your, the desire of your heart. Okay, <clears throat> as I'm getting ready to close, um, I want to talk about one more thing. On November 1st, that is today, All Saints Day, we remember the saints who have died. Our Christian brothers and sisters who died with faith in Jesus, who were faithful unto death and who now have the crown of life, who wear it. And each year we remember all of the saints of the church of here, of Zion, who have died during this past year. Um, and I know a number of you are mourning the loss of loved ones um, this year um, and even this week. Um, well, uh, this year we have one saint from Zion who is now forever with the Lord. Um, one saint who rests from his labors. And that is our brother, uh, Isri Persaud, who used to sit 
right there in that chair. Um, we remember him, and we thank God for him. He died just a couple months ago, and yet he lives. Now, you and I have a lot in common with Isri, uh, whose wife is here. Um, you and I have the same Jesus as Isri did. Uh, we have the same Lord, the same Savior, the same forgiveness of sins, the same baptism, the same gospel, the same Lord's Supper and everything, the same deep longing desire we had together. Uh, but one thing we don't have in common, not anymore. There's one thing we no longer have in common with Israel, and that is that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, but he is filled with it. He has it. He doesn't hunger or thirst anymore. We live by faith, but he lives by sight. We hope in heaven. We hope in paradise. We wait for the eternal blessings of the life to come, but Israel doesn't. He no longer has to hope anymore. That's passed away. He doesn't have to have faith anymore. That is gone because he sees. Here he has it. We're waiting, but his wait has ended. Now, this is just incredible to think about because he was just here. <laughs> he was just here in the same church, in the same seat, in the same altar, waiting and longing and hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And now he is filled. And this goes for all of those who die trusting in the Lord Jesus, who put their hope in him alone. We're waiting for heaven, but they've made it. They have the reward. They have that for which we still endeavor. This is a comfort for Israel and all the saints who have died while trusting in the Lord Jesus. This is a comfort for them. They are filled and comforted forever. Never again will they be bothered by sin, by death, by worry or anxiety or an election or any voting or any trouble or anything and any impending doom. They never will worry about that again. And we wanted this for them, and we wanted them to have this comfort, and they do. And so we're happy for them. But not only is this comfort for them, this comfort is also for you. This is something that makes us happy too, because we know that if they have made it, then by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, by his blood, we're going to make it too by the same author and finisher of our faith, we also will be satisfied and filled with righteousness forever. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.